and welcome to Book Solid. We're your hosts. I'm Soraya. And I'm India. And for this week's episode, we're going to be discussing The Nest by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. And before we get started, we just want to say a huge thank you to all of you for tuning in and supporting our show with each episode. We're just about to hit our two-month mark and break a thousand downloads, and we're so grateful to each of you and for the incredible feedback that we've gotten so far. Our show has grown in such a short time, and we have some really, really exciting things that we'll be sharing with you soon. We also wanted to share that we recently launched a GoFundMe campaign. As our show keeps growing, we really want to make sure that we can keep up and keep bringing you all the best possible content. If you're interested in learning more about it and where our donations will go exactly, um, we'll have a link in our show notes. And if you prefer to support us in other ways, you can subscribe to our show wherever you're listening, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and review. Thank you so much to all of you. Spoiler alert. Hey guys, just as a heads up, we will be revealing spoilers in this episode. If you haven't yet read the book or seen the show or film, this is a courteous reminder to proceed with caution. So, (laughs) I guess just jumping right in, do you want to just go through each sibling and we just kind of give our thoughts from there? Yeah, that sounds good. I know every single episode I say this, but Irredeemable Mm -hmm. is coming to mind with Leo. So from that very first, like even in the prologue, we get a pretty good sense of who he is. He talks about how he's drunk, he was doing cocaine, he's ditching this party with that he's at with his wife to go have sex essentially with this 19 year old under the guise of helping her with her career. Um, so like that in and of itself, like even before the accident, I was like, okay, so this is telling me exactly who he is. And I think throughout the book, I was really waiting for this moment for him to wake up, to change, to have some kind of character arc, any growth. And he really did not. And I have so many instances in my notes of things he did that drove me up the wall. Like the very first one being when he met with his siblings and he lied about having money to pay them back because they used their share of their inheritance, not willingly, but to bail him out of that mess that he brought upon himself. So he had the funds to pay him back. He lied and said he didn't. He basically used Stephanie for his own gain. Like, sure, he tries to say he has feelings for her, but the second things got difficult, he bailed. He didn't even tell her the truth about what happened. He doesn't really seem to care about what he did to Matilda. Like, he, I feel like he does not care that this woman has now lost her entire foot because of his actions. Yes, she got in that car willingly. Yes, she knew that he was married, but he really manipulated her because, you know, she was a waitress. She was serving his family and he had a position of power of saying like, oh, I know a lot of people. I know you want to be a singer. I can help you. And she was vulnerable and she took that opportunity. And I think the biggest thing that stood out to me that was just like, Leo, there's nothing he can do in my eyes that will change how I feel about him was when he saw B's manuscript and realized it was loosely based on what happened with him and Matilda And he was thinking about how, like, if word got out, people were going to judge him or talk about him. And he said, and I quote, they would conveniently ignore or downplay how he made her a millionaire and only really focus on the fact that she lost her foot because of him. And I'm like, you really hold yourself up in such high regard in your head that you made her a millionaire? Do you think she'd really have the millions or her foot back? Because I think she'd have her foot. So it's just like he is constantly trying to justify his actions, excuse his actions, and there's no accountability whatsoever. So that was very long-winded, but I have a lot of feelings about him. I really didn't like him. 
Yeah, no, I feel like you hit the nail on the head. I just, like... I know not every single character... Like, there are stagnant characters. They're placeholders. They're there to, like, move the story along. But I wonder and I question why we never saw even a glimpse of a redemption arc because he just, you know, the whole time I'm reading and reading, waiting, um, you know, he gets out of rehab and we're thinking like, so the mo- like literally moments after he gets out of rehab, he goes to buy cocaine before meeting with his siblings mm-hmm. to discuss the nest. And then he backs out because he sees his nieces, his twin nieces. And I think that kind of, you know, so I'm like, okay, so we're seeing some kind of growth. And then that just stops. But I feel like I'm not sure when the book came out in relation to the Me Too movement. But I I couldn't help but think of like Harvey Weinstein and just a lot of the, just in the film industry, male, powerful, top performing guys who would exploit women who are looking to enter the film industry as actors. And, you know, they promise them, I'm going to get you this deal. I'm going to get you this gig. I'll connect you with the right people. But first you have to do insert something wildly inappropriate, mm-hmm. usually sexual. And I couldn't help but think that with Leo. Yeah. Um, like you said, he's manipulating her. And then he doesn't feel, she lost her foot, Yeah. you know? And it's also, she definitely holds herself accountable for, you know, skipping out on work to essentially hook up with this older man. But Leo, you're the one more so in the wrong, I feel like, just because, you know, yes, she's 19. Yes, legally, she is an adult, but I believe he's like in his 40s or so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have roughly 20 year age gap here. Um, I just, yeah, I couldn't help but feel like he was exploiting her for sexual reasons and then has no remorse whatsoever. Like mm-hmm. you said, she loses a limb. Yeah. You know, this is literally how we walk. And then there's the whole element of her family being undocumented and how all of the Plum siblings really uses that to their advantage Mm -hmm. is sickening and awful. Yeah. And from what I understand, I don't think he even really knows anybody in the music. And like, Mm -hmm. it's just a ruse, you know, it was just another way for him to try to get what he wants because that's a recurring theme in this book is he constantly feels like he is owed something or that he should get what he wants. And it just like, he just reeked of privilege. I, I just, I, could not stand him as a character (laughs) at all. Yeah, that's the perfect word, I feel like, privilege. I couldn't help but think that with each sibling story, um, especially in relationship to, or in relation to the nest. I don't know, just talking generally, you know, they're in New York. They each have, for the most part, established careers. I know Bee's kind of, she kind of feels like she settled in a way, or she knows that her ex-friends think she does, and that affects how she views herself but I just I don't know this idea of privilege and I'm like you know do you really need that money that badly you know and so that kind of threw me off and like you made the choices that brought you here because you were expecting this money and like they pointed out multiple times that money was never even supposed to be the amount that it was Mm -hmm. and so like you guys kind of really took a gamble each of you on your lives because you're waiting on this money and the money never came So a lot of the predicaments that they find themselves in, like Jack getting that second loan or second line of credit on their house or something like that, and then Melody taking out like another mortgage, and they're in these really precarious situations. She can barely afford to, you know, buy new clothes for her children, and she has no idea how she's going to afford college, and 
Beatrice was the only one who was financially stable, but it was because of a previous relationship, which we'll get into. And then, as we know, Leo, he has that money offshore, but he's, you know, trying to find a way to make it again in New York. But, like, my point is that they're all in this situation because of their own behavior. Mm -hmm. No one told Leo, Leo to gamble his money away the way he did when he was with Victoria. You know, they were just, like, throwing their money away. And so they're like, well, the nest is coming, the nest is coming, the nest is coming. And they centered their lives around this thing that completely backfired yeah and it's just like where is the accountability you know like you said every single decision that each of the siblings makes it directly impacts their wealth later in life and melody um i'm sure we can get to we can get into her in a second because i have a lot of thoughts on her but um just quickly before we go further into the siblings just touching on their mother francie Mm -hmm. i believe It's really interesting because I can tell just from their initial conversation when they're discussing the nest. And then, you know, of course, the other siblings find out that once Leo gets into this accident, a large sum of the nest is used to, you know, hospital fees, all that. And also quiet everyone and everything because it will ruin his career and all that. What career? (laughs) Like, literally, (laughs) please. Um, what, What work have you done? Please enlighten me. But long story short... I just, so Francie is described as being a cold, kind of detached woman. Um, she had some issues with alcohol abuse, especially earlier in um, their lives when they were younger. But I just, like, I get the sense, and she says it in their conversation. She's like, I didn't raise you guys to be this way. You're very, basically saying you're greedy. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not happy that you guys turn out this way. But she also doesn't really, like, care, yeah. you know? She says all that, and she's like, okay, anyways, bye. Like, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not forcing Leo to pay you guys back. Anyways, like, carry yes. on. Very detached. And and what I think makes me the most angry about Leo's character is not only does he never hold himself accountable, nobody in his life holds him accountable to any of his actions. Except maybe Jack is the only one who, like, sees through the BS. Mm-hmm. But everyone else, for Francie to like bail him out, no hesitation, and to take that from their siblings, her other children, who are waiting on this money, who've made plans around this money. I mean, we discussed that that was a flawed thing, but it's what the situation was. And then Beatrice, by listening in on Matilda's parents' conversation and telling their cousin George, the lawyer, and Leo that she overheard that their parents are undocumented. And so using that as leverage, that was such a horrific thing to do, like you said, because it's punishing her for Leo's mistake Mm -hmm. and preventing her from getting the justice that she deserves in that situation. And so I feel like because Leo always has people coming to his rescue, he doesn't think that he ever does anything wrong because no one ever tells him that he does. And that's just such a toxic way to be. Yeah. No, yeah, I completely agree. And um, just quickly going back to Beatrice, I don't know, when she, when it was revealed that she basically exposed Matilda's family and was using that as incentive to protect, or not incentive, but using that to protect um, Leo, I just, because I mean, aside from that, she was one of the few characters that I could kind of empathize with. She felt, I felt like she was written well, but... Mm -hmm. I'm like, again, here's this idea of privilege. Anytime there's a roadblock in the way, they immediately 
react like toddlers or like little kids when like you say okay you can't play with that toy or don't touch that in the store and they start crying and you know I'm like okay but you guys are all adults now and you've never developed the necessary skills to deal with adversity and so now we just have four grown adults whining yes that's basically what the entire book was was these four people whining about situations that they put themselves in Mm -hmm. so it was very hard to feel bad for them because you all made these choices nobody made you make these choices it sucks what happened to the nest and that you're not getting this money that you thought you were going to but like that was such an impractical way to live Mm -hmm. and so yeah like i just it was kind of annoying to listen to them whine and complain about stuff that they brought upon themselves Mm -hmm. and just generally i have like a clarifying question for you so from what i understand in the very end they don't get the nest of course and so b she kind of decides that she doesn't need the money her portion of the money and so she decides to split her shares with melody and jack Mm -hmm. and then leo literally (laughs) disappears off the face of the earth And then that's just it, right? Yeah. They're building up this thing and then they don't get it. Right. I feel like we're kind of moving away from the siblings here and I know we'll get back to them in a second, but I think the, my, my biggest issue with this book and I'm sure you all can kind of tell from the way we're talking that we weren't totally crazy about this book. I wouldn't say like, I hate it by any means. I just have like issue with some of the characters and some of um, the plot lines. But I think one of my biggest issues with it is it was presented as a story about siblings who have kind of lost their way with each other, but throughout the course of this book are supposed to like find their way back to one another or renew their relationships as adults. Because I think sibling relationships are very complex ones. Mm-hmm. You have one relationship as children and another as adults. And it's really interesting to see that transition. So to me, it was supposed to kind of see how they kind of form a relationship as adults later in life. But I don't really feel like we got that. Mm-hmm. It just was kind of in the last 50 pages B decides to give up her share. Everyone's all happy at uh, Lila's, Stephanie's baby's birthday, and then that's it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just kind of felt like there was something missing there. Yeah, I agree. Not everything has to be this perfectly happy ending. It's okay to have tragedies. It's okay to have contention and drama in the story. And I don't think either of us are really contesting that. But I just wonder, you know, if... Like, as far as, like, redemption and growth of the characters. Because I'm trying to think if any of the characters really have... Like, I know Jack... I guess we could kind of segue into him a a little bit. But... So he does a series of actions. Essentially just some sketchy dealings with money. Because he knows that he can't really trust Leo to get his, you know, money from the nest. And then eventually his husband, Walker, finds out and dumps him they get a divorce they split and so i think he kind of feels some remorse in the end he's just like i screwed up i dropped the ball but i don't really get i didn't really get the sense that he regretted his actions yeah yeah let's let's get into jacks i think that's really interesting too and it's not like this was like a fling these people were together for over two decades they mm-hmm. said and i feel like there was even a point early on in the book where jack said if walker found out what he was doing he would leave him And that somehow wasn't important enough to him to make him change his behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, he kind of just took it, to me, he took it as, well, I guess I have to be more careful that he doesn't find out instead of let me stop this current path I'm on so that I don't lose this relationship. Like, I feel like they're all kind of selfish. And so Jack really prioritized 
what he wanted and what he thought he needed over Walker's feelings because he knew exactly how he would feel about this. And so, yeah, that I was just wasn't a fan of that. I feel like he, as much as he detests Leo, he was just as selfish in his actions as Leo was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, in terms of sibling dynamic, that was a part of the book that was really interesting to me. It made sense, you know, in my head, I pictured Jack being envious of Leo because, yeah. of course, for whatever reason, Leo must be, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio again. <laughs> like, he must, I'm trying to picture, you know, whatever it is, his charm, his appeal. Um, a lot of times they describe that, you know, when characters spoke with him, he made them feel like they were the only person in the room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's very charming and I get that. And I can tell Jack definitely envied that about him. Um, And I felt like that focusing on more aspects of that and like the sibling dynamic would have been really interesting. And I know like they kind of paired off in a sense. It was like Leo and B and then Jack and Melody kind of. But yeah, just with Jack, I felt like, like you said, you know, he wasn't all that different from Leo. He's very selfish. Mm -hmm. He made a series of bad, like, so he has a business and he says like his business doesn't really produce a lot of income. It's more so a passion project. And his husband's okay with that. From what I understand, the husband provides most of their income and their relationship. But then I forget what exactly happens that he has to take out or he he starts seeking other money. I think it was to drive. I remember one part him talking about driving more business into his store. So he would revamp something in the Mm -hmm. store or what have you. And so those like alterations started adding up. And so he started seeking money elsewhere. But yeah, I mean, honestly, kind of like good for Walker for leaving him. And especially like when Walker, there was a part at the end where he talked about thinking he could forgive him or they could move past it or even just having a conversation because Jack swore up and down that he had canceled the sale. Mm -hmm. And then when he walked into their room to go talk to Jack, he could hear him on the phone negotiating the sale. So he just lied again. And it's like, Walker, you don't need that. Like, move on. Keep it trucking. Jack is 40-whatever and has a ton of growing up to do still, so. Yeah, and just even, like, once we first are introduced to Jack, um, I believe they're at some, like, ritzy bar in New York. And instantly, immediately, I'm one of those people who believes that you can always tell someone's character by how they interact with folks in the food industry or just food service in general. And so he's very snappy with the um, waitress, I believe. He yeah. says his drink's made wrong. And the whole time Walker's just like apologetic and you know, trying to mediate the situation. But it's, it's pretty apparent that Jack was overreacting, especially since you know he's a regular at this bar. So I'm like, wouldn't you have an idea? I mean, I don't know. The drink could have been made wrong for sure, but it was how he approached it. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was really clever on behalf of Cynthia Dupree Sweeney just because, you know, just little details like that. We know Jack is very high maintenance. And and I get that, you know, in relationships, there's definitely sometimes going to be that yin and yang kind of balance. But Jack's actions, they just kept getting worse and worse. And like you were saying earlier, so he was getting or he was seeking out additional money to revamp his business, but he keeps going down that rabbit hole and he's like, well, you know, I need more money to do this and more money to do this. And all the while, never updating Walker on any of this. Mm -hmm. And so, 
Yeah, I just, I don't get the sense that after their divorce, I mean, he was sad and he was like, okay, like you said, they were together for two decades. And he's just like, well, you know, I still need my money. Yeah, like, seriously. And that's a good point. I forgot about that initial intro to Jack where he talked to the waitress like that at the bar. And I could never be with someone who treats people that way. Like, I don't know, to me, it it screams insecurity because you feel like because this person is serving you and you are paying them that you can treat them any which way. Mm -hmm. And I hate that. That's just something that really, really bothers me. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it kind of touches on, um, I think the last episode we talked about when we worked together at our old job on campus, for whatever reason, when we're in the office, everyone can talk to us any kind of way, Mm -hmm. but then outside of campus or sorry, outside of the office on campus in our classes, it's, hey, can I borrow the notes? And um, hey, do you want to be in my project? And like, like, people were mean. Like, I don't want you guys to think we we're overreacting. Yeah. Like, no, people, these were straight up students who we lived in the same dorms with who treated us so poorly the second we stood behind that desk. Yeah, and just snappiness. Like, just, I mean, we didn't really handle cash and money directly in what we were doing, but an equivalent would be, you know, say you go to the gas station and the person, the cashier puts out their hand for you to give them, you know, money to pay for gas or whatever. And then you throw the bill on the counter. You know, we just stuff like that. Lots of like, or like say to use that analogy, because like India said, we didn't handle cash, but we did like exchange things for people. And it's like, say you're going up to pay and instead of telling them what you're buying and what you want, you just walk up to the counter and throw your money and then stare at them (laughs) and expect them to just read your mind and figure out what you want. To that point, I did kind of wonder that moment, like you said, I personally, I'm sorry, I couldn't stay with someone who behaved that way. Mm -hmm. And I could tell that Walker definitely felt like he had to kind of compensate for that in that moment. But I, it, it was kind of, um, it was foreshadowing, of course, the, the end of the relationship. It was, I mean, it was pretty clear that they were incompatible, but yeah, Jack was just all about the money. All about himself, <laughs> all about his money. Yeah. Let's move into Melody. Yes. Melody. Okay, so with her, I just quickly want to say the first thing that came to mind when we were first getting more insight onto like her backstory, which by the way, I just with all the characters, I I mean, you already said this, but like I yearn for more backstory because it was genuinely fascinating seeing the lives, especially with the twins, what they were up to. But this like this concept of helicopter parenting and just the stalking app and I don't know. I was getting almost Elena vibes from our Little Fires Everywhere episode at times. I said this um, before in another episode, but I think it was The Vanishing Half, but like this idea of strict parents create sneaky children. Mm -hmm. I felt like that kind of happened. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really interesting to me when Nora came out to her and and uh walter her husband it was really nice to see that walter at least was very accepting and like immediately accepting it didn't change anything for him he didn't have to think about anything like he just treated her like he always did Mm -hmm. and so that was nice because i was really nervous for nora going up to that because i didn't know like how her parents were going to react and she was very you know we got to see a lot of how she felt about having to tell them and i just like wanted them to accept her and for everything Mm -hmm. to kind of be okay and so I don't know. It bothered me that Melody was making... She was like, well, I just don't know how to talk to her anymore. I don't know how to treat her. I'm like, 
the same way you always have. She's still your daughter. That's still like nothing in your relationship has changed. I just thought it's strange because much of the book focuses on this like immense love that she has for her children. Mm -hmm. And that's why she has the stalker app and you know why she's such a helicopter parent because she's always talking about like what she doesn't know what she would do without them or if something happened to them. And so if that's how you say you love them, there should be nothing that changes that love that you have for them. But then when Nora came out to her, it did. It did mm -hmm. cause like this rift and she had to learn how to accept it. So I just thought those were combating parts of her character. It didn't really make sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So although we do kind of get this like, you know, glimpse glimpses at redemption as far as her mentality on money, the way she handled Nora's, um, I guess, coming out in a way, and also just the way, so, uh, you know, the twins, Nora and Louisa, Louisa kind of knew, like, she saw Nora and Simone kissing at the museum one day, but eventually they have this, you know, very emotional conversation at Melody's birthday, I believe. Mm -hmm. I think it's at Jack's house, and they, like, sneak off into his room to have this heart-to-heart -heart conversation, and they come to terms with it, like Louise is crying, and then Melody barges in, demands to know what they're talking about, and she's just so aggressive. And I just was, I, I don't know, I wish she didn't take that approach because like her abrasion, okay, it's very clear, like emotions are raw, tensions are raw, and so for her, she forced her to come out, and yeah. then was like, oh, absolutely not. And then I thought it was also interesting how, in the book they discuss how Melody's brother, Jack, is gay, and one of the characters says like, okay, well, your brother's gay, um, you know, you're okay with that. Why are you having trouble with your daughter you're coming to terms with her sexuality? And she was like, that's different. I don't know. Like she doesn't have a reason. Right. And I understand, you know, maybe she needs a moment to get adjusted to things. But like you said, you know, this concept of helicopter parenting stemmed from her parent she cared about her daughter she you know constantly she's talking about safety she made them think that and i i literally i've actually never been to new york <laughs> so um all that i know is from the media but and like any other place you know there's going to be quote unquote safe areas and dangerous more dangerous areas uh but from what i got melody was just like it's all dangerous yeah. you go to school you go to home that's it and so of course the girls are like we need to explore because simone's living her best life everybody else is and as soon as you tell a kid teenager whatever that they can't do something like guess what they're gonna want to do right. you know like it's just a matter of time i feel like like you said it's just safer and wiser to give them that freedom but just give them the tools to navigate that freedom properly mm -hmm to keep themselves safe, you know, instead of just being like, lock you in your room, in the highest room on the tallest tower, and <laughs> that's that, you know? Right. Yeah, Melody was, she was, and then also just her relationship with her husband was kind of, um... I feel like he was willing to sacrifice a lot to make her happy, and she was not willing to do the same. It was a very one-sided relationship. Absolutely. And, like, we even see that in the home, so from what I understand, like she goes on a walk one morning, she's walking the twins or something. Yeah. She spots the house. It's a fixer upper. It's going to cost a lot of money, but it's on like literally I picture like railroad tracks or something to that effect. The good side of the tracks and like the bad side. She's like, we need to like keep up with the Joneses and the PTA moms. And she has this idea of perfection. And meanwhile, her husband's just like, actually, no, like that's not really realistic for us right now. Um, she's very intent on having a college fund for both 
the twins and she specifically has private colleges in mind i'm like have you talked to your kids at all yeah, is that what they want also i don't know what's so bad about state school like right. okay we went to a state school <laughs> and it was fine and i loved it and i'm also not hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt now for the same degree so right. like i don't know what the shade was because like you yeah. can still get a perfectly good education. Like, she made it seem like the world was ending. She's like, well, I guess they don't have to choose private school. We can save some money. Get off your high horse, woman. Yeah. You know, it's very clear that... And we I understand. Have school money. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. And, like, you know, I'm not saying you can't have high hopes for yourself or mm-hmm. your family and, you know, try to ascertain or achieve a certain point. But also just grossly unrealistic to the point of like you said earlier um you know they all just put all of their hopes and faith on the nest the nest the nest and then come to find out there ain't no money exactly and like just being practical like you just cannot live beyond your means Mm -hmm. and that's what she was like she was hell-bent on doing to craft this image and to make sure their children had the absolute perfect life but you don't have to go to a private school. You don't have to have this ridiculously expensive SAT tutor and like all the things she was trying to do for them. And like, I get it as a parent, she wanted the buds best for them and she was willing to pull out all the stops, but you just have to be practical mm-hmm. because those things don't ensure success. You can still do all of those things and you end up unhappy or her children end up unhappy or unsatisfied or maybe not even want that route in life. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I just feel like she bent over backwards trying to make this stuff happen and it blew up right in her face. Yeah, and I will say that is kind of like a commendable moment in the story, just because, you know, we there is kind of like a lesson in how she interacts with the twins, but I still felt bad for Nora, because again, and also teenagers, she's trying to figure out everything. She's got SATs, college, like there's so much stress. And then now she's like, oh great, my mom who's loved me all my life suddenly can't even talk to me. Yeah. You know, like that's, Uh, I don't know. That's hard to read. As far as character development and like their arc throughout the book and then the ending goes, the twins by far had the best one. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, I feel like they had way more growth than these full adults did. And it was nice at the end to see that they both kind of stood up for themselves and what they wanted. Like Nora didn't back down from her relationship with Simone. She owned that. She owned that this is who she loved. Mm-hmm. And I like that also Louisa stood up for herself and wanted to go to art school. You know, mm-hmm. she initially at the beginning seemed like she was going to let her mom talk her down. But I feel like they both really, really grew as people. And I was happy to see them pursue what they wanted yeah. as opposed. And, you know, that was that whole recurring theme with them of like, it's not your job to be somebody else's mirror. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even for them to realize that for everyone else and then for each other, because Louisa had a really hard moment when she found out about Nora and Simone, because being twins, she's like, we're supposed to be the same. Yeah. We're supposed to be the same people. And that heart to heart was really nice between the two of them because you can still be fully independent people making your own decisions, but that doesn't weaken or lessen your bond as siblings, as twins in, in any way. Mm-hmm. So I guess moving on to B, um, what were your feelings about her? I wanted to like her. And I felt like if she hadn't done one very specific action pretty early on in the story. I feel like we're in agreement on what that specific yeah. action is. I I would have liked her, but what she did, much like how we're introduced to Jack and his whole, you know, bar fiasco, I think it speaks to her character deep down. And she's also something that's interesting is she's one of the few siblings that has any real remorse for Leo whatsoever. And it's because like out of the four, you know, they're the closest or whatever. And there's also talk about in B's 
when she was like a teenager in high school, she was essentially manipulated by this creep, this guy in her class, and Leo like stood up for her. Um, and they also worked together. But he, Leo's also terrible, and he he's not really he's not as emotionally supportive towards B as she is towards him. Yes, that was something I wrote in my notes. I'm so glad you said that because I forgot to mention it when we were talking about him. But I wrote like, how selfish can Leo be? Because B's had his back at every moment, moments when she shouldn't have. Because we like, I know we agree she should never have done what she did with Matilda and her family, mm-hmm. but she had his back at literally every single moment. She All she asked was for him to read her pages, mm-hmm. and he acted like he barely had time to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, he said that when she handed it to him, he even had that whole thing about talking about how he felt frustrated and was, like, trying to get her out of the house. He's like, yeah, I'll take a look at it when I can. And if I'm not mistaken, a whole week or weeks went by where he couldn't even deign to touch it because what he was doing was so much more important. He's which just... Which was nothing, by the way. Which was nothing. <laughs> He's just so self-absorbed. Yeah. yeah. And even, like, to that point, didn't Stephanie have to remind him, like, multiple times, yeah. hey, did you read B's story? And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll get to it. Like, sir, what are you doing that you're that busy? She's had your back since day one, and you yeah. couldn't care less. And going off of what you said about B, like, that's the thing, is I wanted to like her. All the other characters, it was pretty obvious to me that they didn't really have very many redeemable qualities. And so she was the only one who... You know, initially I was like, oh, she's, you know, she seems fine. I feel like, you know, I'll probably like her the most. And then she did what she did. And I was kind of looking at her through that lens after that. But I feel like B, honestly, like, even though we got chapters from her, we don't really know a lot about her. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's kind of like one critique I want to make about the book is I kind of feel like it needed to be 200 pages longer. Just because a lot of the information that we get about the characters is really superficial We don't get a lot of backstory into their relationships with one another and why they are the way they are now as adults. I mean, we get that little blurb about Jack not liking Leo because people called him Leo Light. And we know that B and Leo are close. Um, Leo had her back in high school and he was the one who kind of helped her with her writing career. But other than that, we just really didn't get a lot. And as I was reading this, it kept reminding me of the book The Last Romantics by Tara Conklin. And I really enjoyed that book because it was similar feel. It was about four siblings and it bounced back and forth between the relationship as kids, teenagers, and then adults in the present. And I feel like I had so much more of an emotional connection to each of the characters because there was a lot of time put forth in building up who they were individually and what their relationships were with each other. Like, I feel like this book just threw us in. And so that was just, it made it really hard to connect to any of the characters because of that. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting point of it It could very easily, and I feel like if it was 200 pages longer, this would be a different conversation, yeah. you know? But also, if not 200 pages longer, then a lot of the, a lot of the elements introduced to us, if they were cut out mm-hmm. and kept at the same, like, you know, a little over 300 pages mark, it would have been maybe an easier story to follow. Just because, um, I know we talked about this a little bit off air, but... There was a lot of characters in this book. Yeah, I actually wrote it down (laughs) as I read. Anytime there was a chapter from a new perspective, and in this, what, 340-page book, Mm -hmm. we had chapters from Leo, Melody, Beatrice, Jack, Louisa, Paul, Tommy, Vinny, Matilda, and Walker. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of too much. And what we talked about in our last episode with the guest list 
that worked in its favor because there were only five characters. So when it bounced between, you know, it was really easy to keep track of each character's kind of individual storyline. But this one, with it being from 10 different characters' points of view, and it would also bounce kind of randomly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we'd only been hearing from the siblings and then I think the twins. And then all of a sudden we get a chapter from Paul. And you're like, Mm -hmm. wait, who's Paul? Why are we hearing from him? What's going on? And then same thing when we get that chapter from Tommy. And we get the one from Vinny. Like, they kind of just fell out of place. Definitely. And so I just see what you mean. And, like, paring that down, I think if we had kept it at the core, just the four siblings or, like, the four siblings and the twins, mm-hmm. we could have gotten a much more detailed story. Right. Detailed in a good way. Right. I don't know. I understand, for example, I believe Vinny's the one who goes on to be in a relationship with Matilda. Mm-hmm. That was nice just in the sense that, you know, Matilda definitely gets dealt the bad hand in this. Um, And so I think his purpose was to kind of be like the light at the end of the tunnel. And they kind of do, from what I recall, like their story ends well together. Right. But did we really need to know about Vinny, you know? Yeah, like that just kind of seemed like it was just kind of thrown in. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay, well, that's what happened with Matilda. But it... And oh, I mean, I guess Stephanie ended up helping Matilda, but that whole thing of Vinny and Mat- or, yeah, Vinny and Matilda trying to get in contact with Leo, it it's just like it was all these like really kind of seemingly random extra storylines taking place mm-hmm. along with the main storyline, and so I feel like it just kind of made it hard to follow. And speaking about Paul really quickly, I didn't know how to feel about him because his infatuation with Beatrice bordered on like a little creepy to me just a little because like he seemed like so just infatuated is the word i'm gonna use with her he was just sitting here waiting biding time for her to kind of have feelings for him and what i didn't like was at the end when they went to look for leo they didn't specify where but they were just in some caribbean island and he saw him and he chose not to tell her yeah because it was going to ruin that moment between them of them maybe kissing like that's her brother You don't get to decide whether she knows where he is or, like, whether or not it's good for her to know where he is. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that was a very kind of manipulative thing to do. And if I I was Beatrice and I ever found out that he did see him, I would have been livid. Mm -hmm. And honestly, just as you said that right now, I think what you said is perfect. And I think, because, like, I, I always, I felt weird. Not always. We just read this. But as I was reading this, I felt weird about Paul's the way he described B and like the fact that he had this crush on her for years upon years, that's fine. Like people have crushes, but specifically use the word infatuation. And I felt like, so there's love and then there's infatuation, right? If he truly loved her, he knows how close B is to Leo. He knows how much B cares about Leo. So if he really loved her, it's not about the kiss. There'll be other times for them to kiss, Mm -hmm. you know, if that's how they're supposed to, how their story's supposed to play out. But instead, he chose infatuation and chose to be selfish yeah. and just, uh, yeah. I, you know, I forgot about that. But yes, I agree. And it's okay to introduce a character, but it was a whole chapter with very specific details about his work life, about his watery gray eyes. His and like routine. Yeah, and I'm just like, I get it. And I do feel like we're kind of, you know, getting a visual of the character, but is that really necessary to the story? Because again, we it's the plum siblings. It's the nest. Yeah. That's, you know, what the focus is. And something I even wrote in my notes is like, the individual storylines were interesting, but it was way too kind of all over the place together. 
Mm-hmm. And it was really confusing. Sorry, I'm reading straight from my notes because, like, I want to get my thoughts as I was reading it. Mm-hmm. I said it was confusing and it feels like it. you're trying to get your bearings and it would be better if it was more streamlined. Learning about Tommy and his wife and what he was going through, it was interesting. It just felt out of place in this particular mm-hmm. story. And learning about Vinny and what happened to him, it was interesting. It just mm-hmm. didn't fit into this particular story. Right. So it just felt like it was trying to do too much in the very limited time, the limited pages that it had. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but with the 2008 recession, so, you know, undoubtedly that had an effect on countless Americans as it did the Plum siblings. But I just couldn't help but think that in their heads, they thought that they were so much more affected by finances. In actuality, they were very blessed and fortunate, I feel like, especially being in New York, one of the most expensive places to live in this country. You know, if your only concern is, are my twins gonna go to private school or, you know, public school, or for Jack, you know, he was able to be in this relationship with someone who was financially well off and they had their situation going. And he just kept wanting more and more and more. And so I definitely think for sure, you know, the author could be commenting on this idea of like hedonism and greed and living in excess. And I get that. But I didn't feel I didn't feel sorry for them at all. I'm like, actually, I hope you don't get the nest. You can learn morals and values and, you know, love and family. That's important. Like mend those broken relationships in your family. Maybe you'll feel more fulfilled. That nest isn't going to do that for you. It's just going to more more money, more problems, you know? And I hate to sound so overly critical of the characters or the book because, and you know, and that's, I feel like this is also not everybody is going to like every single book. It's just completely unrealistic. And so these are the feelings that we have about it. And so we're just chatting about that. And I I feel like one of the biggest hangups that I had, like you were saying, you don't feel bad for any of them. And I think I kind of touched on this earlier in the episode is just like most books, TV shows, movies, you feel a way about a character because you are shown things about them Mm -hmm. that lead you to feel a certain way. I feel like this book just wanted us to feel a certain way towards these characters, but gave us no incentive. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't feel compassion for them. I didn't feel a whole lot of empathy and I didn't feel the relationships between them or any kind of sibling. I just, I didn't feel any kind of way about these characters because I feel like I just wasn't provided with enough information to do so. Mm -hmm. And I guess actually I did feel a kind of way about them, but it was negative. I didn't really like any of them. Right. So yeah, that was just something that was really hard for me to immerse myself in the story and kind of like relate to these characters in any way because I just, I wasn't a fan of really any of them except for the twins. Right. And just kind of going off of that, I, I just question like if, that was the intent of the author because like that's fine you know like i said there's of course there's tragedies and that's not even probably the right genre but of course not everything has to go perfectly i love a good anti-hero you know i live for it but like you said this definitely isn't meant to be this big negative cloud there were definitely things to like in this book it was definitely the writing was good Mm -hmm. i like the descriptions of new york again i can't stress enough i've never been (laughs) so everything i know about new york literally is through literature and media and music and so i'm picturing in my head what it looks like and i thought the writing was really compelling but i just wonder like if these minor tweaks were made to it if i would have gotten more out of the story yeah yeah because like you said there are definitely like there are things to like 
I really enjoy the relationship between the twins. I feel like that, the growth that the twins had, the relationship they had with one another is what I wish that the Plum siblings would have had. And I guess we didn't talk about Stephanie. I don't really have any negative feelings towards Stephanie. Her journey to motherhood was interesting and unexpected. I like that she was such an independent person Mm -hmm. that she didn't feel like she needed to rely on someone else to make her happy. And she built this life for herself that she really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And so I I enjoyed that part of her. She was was a pretty um, solid character. Her position was to break the bad news if she felt like, for example, with V's writing, if it was going to be good, if it wasn't good, if it would sell. And so she had a tough job, but... I definitely felt like she was a full human. She's relatable more so than the others. Right, right. But then, you know, how her story plays out, I felt like she was very strong. She was like, I I don't know, unimaginably strong just because I haven't had a child yet. So I can't even imagine she had to give birth, I believe in the side character Tommy's apartment. Or she's like going down the steps, trying to go to the hospital. Oh yeah, it was like the first floor of her apartment. Oh, okay, yeah. So she's not even in the hospital, she's having contractions. I just really felt for her, but the whole time I'm thinking, Leo doesn't even know she's this even though she's pregnant. Honestly though, with what we've been told about Leo, I don't even know if it would have made a difference in him leaving or not. And that's kind of the things like I hated to see Stephanie was so strong as a person, but like Leo had this hold over her. Like even when he came back into her life, she specifically said we're not having sex. This is not, you're purely my roommate. We're not getting back together. And that first night, you know, he kind of worked his way back in. And she talks about all the time she had to pick herself back up and put herself together after Leo left her. Mm -hmm. So it's just like more of the same from him. And she didn't deserve that. Right. We kind of talked about this before the episode, but the way that Leo, just the way that he talks, the way that he thinks about women, the language that he uses, it was, I mean, I guess from the start, it was kind of clear that he wasn't going to change, but just the fact that his solution, because there was a part, like maybe a third of the way in where the height of the novel is, um, I think a chapter was actually called like, where is Leo or something? Well, before we get into that, the whole thing is, is Leo going to pay back the Plum siblings? Yeah. Because he's promised that he will. He said, give me three months. It's been three months and we're, you know, what's going to happen? He leaves. Yep, there's not even so much as an explanation and the fact that he just like, you see what's at stake for your siblings. You see that Melody has two kids that she's trying to put through college. You see that Jack is struggling. You can't even think of someone other than yourself for two seconds to think of how, not even just your siblings, but their significant others and their children and how you bailing is going to affect their lives and how they paid for your mistake. And you can't even be bothered to pay them back, even though you have the means. Leo has no good qualities, none. Yeah. And I feel like that was really um, solidified for me. I mean, in everything. But then when he went to meet with Nathan mm-hmm. and Nathan kind of like was like, no, thanks, but no thanks about his pitch. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Leo was like, well, I don't know if Paul's the right move to make. And I don't think he's the leader that you want or need him to be for this project. But he was all about Paul when he thought he was going to be a part of it. And as soon as Nathan turned him down, he's trying to prevent Paul from getting this opportunity. Right. He just like, yeah, he just only looks out for himself. And so I I could do without him as a, as a person in the book, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, there'd be no book. So I know, I mean, as listening, you can tell, you know, we have very strong opinions about this book, but 
just because this is what we took from it or how we felt. Everyone has differing opinions. And so I would love to hear from some of you if you've read it or if you haven't read it yet, I encourage you to do so and let us know what you think. Did you interpret the siblings the same way that we did? Or are there things that you think we misinterpreted? Or um, how do you feel about each of these characters? I'd be very, very curious to know. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today. For more updates, you can be sure to follow us on Twitter at BookSolidPod, on Instagram at BookSolidPodcast, like us on Facebook at BookSolidPodcast, and also join our group. Please stay tuned after the outro for more information on our donation of the week. For this week's donation, we have chosen two organizations, GoFundMe's Wildfire Relief Fund and Direct Relief's Wildfire Relief Fund. Currently, Washington, California, and Oregon are suffering from one of the worst wildfire seasons the West Coast has ever seen. Collectively, more than 4 million acres have burned. At least 33 people have been killed, dozens are missing, and over 5,000 structures have been destroyed. This is a very personal cause. As many of you know, Indy and I were both born and raised in California and still currently reside here. The level of destruction is unfathomable and we want to assist in any way that we can. The GoFundMe Wildfire Relief Fund issues grants to individuals, communities, and organizations that have been impacted by the wildfires. The Direct Relief Wildfire Fund is committing $1.5 million to relief efforts, as well as donating KN95 masks, health kits, and medical resources to community health centers and emergency management departments. For more information on both of these organizations and how to donate, please visit our show notes.